Blog Talk Radio. It is Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, and I know that's kind of unusual because we usually do these shows on Wednesday night, and I apologize if anyone was listening yesterday because you would have heard just that little uh, introduction, and that was it. I had some technical difficulties, and I really didn't know it. I sat here talking for a good 45 minutes, and I thought it was a great show, but unfortunately I was talking to myself, so um, hopefully tonight I think we've solved all the technical problems and uh, everyone can hear me now. I'm, I also have a backup. I'm also recording this on a backup device in case for some reason there is some technical issues, but hopefully we're doing okay. All right, now as I did yesterday that you guys didn't hear, uh, we are going to discuss moisture-related issues uh, today uh, concerning stone and tile installations, and there's a whole slew of different issues that can occur. I, I would probably say of all the failures that I've looked at over the years, besides the you know just the poor installations, the wrong installations, wrong material, and the proper a proper place, moisture is probably the number one, or I should say the cause for the number one failure. So we're going to discuss things like efflorescence, subfluorescence, hollow sounds that can or cannot be caused by moisture. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about sealers and crystallization. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, a topic that has come to some quite controversy, especially during the last Stone Expo show here, and that is using sealers in shower pans, especially with uh, white marbles and some uh, moisture-sensitive materials. So we'll get into that here. In the meantime, uh, as we're talking, if you have a question concerning these issues, a comment, uh, or just have a question on anything in general that related to stone or tile, then I'm going to give you the call-in numbers, and they are 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. If you're listening live today, Thursday, if not, the best way to reach me and uh, get an answer to your question would be via my email address, which is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. And, of course, there's always my Facebook page. If you go to Stone Forensics, uh, you can message message me there. And uh, I am also have my phone here with the Facebook open, so if you want to message me during the show, if you're a little shy to speak on the radio, that's fine as well. Okay, let's get started. Uh, the first thing you have to remember about moisture, and we're talking moisture, we're talking water, is water is an ever-changing substance. We have things like evaporation, condensation, capillary action, gravitational flow, vapor diffusion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're going to look at all those and and actually uh, apply them to a lot of the different things. For example, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about vapor transmission when it comes to breathability of some of these impregnators out there and what we're starting to discover and find out about the use of these sealers in certain areas like wet areas and outdoors. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Before I do, I want to point you to a a really interesting paper that I found uh, online yesterday, and it's by MAPE, and those of you installers out there are familiar 
with M-A-P-E-I. Their website is M-A-P-E-I dot com. They have a technical bulletin, and technical bulletin number is 010403-TB. TB is in T is in Tom, B is in boy. I'll, I'll say that one more time. 010403-TB, Tom Boy. And the, basically, the technical bulletin is entitled Installing Moisture-Sensitive Stones. And what I found really interesting about the, about the technical bulletin is not necessarily you know, where to use them, where not to use this particular material for moisture-sensitive stones. They actually have a list of about 20 or 30 different stones that they consider to be moisture-sensitive. Uh, and I'm not going to read through them. You can go ahead and look that up after the show here. But obviously, a lot of the greens are on there. The agglomerates are on there. Rosa Levanto is on there. Negro Marquina is on there. And we'll get into why moisture is an issue with some of those. Some of those are related to uh, what we call hysteresis, which is the curling that you see on green materials. Some of them have a tendency to spall. Uh, Negro Marquina does that a lot in wet areas, uh, especially showers, etc. And some of the limestones that uh, are listed in here. So again, that's Technical Bulletin uh, 010403-TB, and that's mapei.com, M-A-P-E-I. And again, I'm not going to read the Technical Bulletin. You can look that up online. So Let's get started. And the first thing I want to talk about when it comes to moisture-related issues is a term called efflorescence. Now, I just finished up a class out in Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and one of the pet peeves that I always preach to my students is that the word is efflorescence. The word is not effervescence. And I hear professionals, people that have been in the business for a very, very long time, using the word effervescence. Let me tell you what effervescence is. Effervescence is what happens when you put the Alka-Seltzer in the water and it fizzes and it bubbles. Uh, effervescence is what happens when you pop open a, a can of 7-Up and pour it into a glass and you see all that bubbling. That is true effervescence. Unless the stone is doing that, it's not effervescing. Efflorescence is what the proper terminology is. So how, what is efflorescence? Efflorescence is a moisture-related is the, the technical definition would be soluble salts coming to the surface of the, the stone, grout, tile, or any porous surface. It can happen to brick, it can happen to concrete, uh, anything that's, that's got a porosity to it. And generally, if you think of, say, a slab as concrete, it has natural salts. And when I say salts, um, I'm not talking just about sodium chloride, the type of salts that we put on our food, but there's all kinds of salts, any, any kind of mineral salts. It could be magnesium. Uh, it could be aluminum. There's any number of salts that can come from not only the concrete, but from the setting bed itself, whether you're using a mud bed or a thin set, uh, or the actual stone itself. Some, some stone will have a high concentration of salts. Now, what happens is when you introduce water into that equation, whether it be a flood, whether it be something leaking, whether it be too much water being used in the setting material, or just a plain wet slab, you can get those salts that dissolve. And what happens in a stone installation, especially, or any installation for that matter, uh, the water is going to rise through capillary action to the surface of the stone and carry with it the salts. What happens at the very top, the water evaporates. And as it evaporates, what's left behind is a solid, which is a salt. So a lot of times you'll see those salts as a light white powder on the surface. So in other words, you can take your hand, rub it across the surface, and you'll get a fine powder. And I've seen those 
powder is white. I've seen them brown, and that's usually due to rust. I've seen them various colors. I had one instance in Puerto Rico many years ago where there were actual little dust bunnies or tumbleweeds, if you will, of efflorescence uh, going across the floor. So it can appear in many different forms, but it's generally all those salts that come to the surface. Now, there are treatments out there. I've seen treatments by various companies that are efflorescence treatments, and you want to be careful because a lot of those treatments are acid and base, and they, they basically dissolve the salts. Well, that's fine and dandy. It will get rid of the efflorescence on the surface, but it won't penetrate into the stone, into the setting bed, into the substrate to remove the moisture. So the only way you cure efflorescence is to remove the moisture or dry it out. And you do that by either uh, putting blowers, fans across the floor, if it's a floor. Uh, you can uh, bring dehumidifiers in. Uh, and if it's a home and it's a closed, enough of a closed-in space, turn the air conditioning on. An air conditioner acts as a dehumidifier. If you don't believe me, go outside and when it's a nice hot summer and see what's coming out of your air conditioning unit. It's usually water. So what it's doing is extracting the air out of the, the moisture out of the air. Uh, that's extremely important because I've had contractors call me with an efflorescence problem, and they basically say, well, I'm turning the heat on, and that's not doing anything. The heat is going to increase the temperature, and it's going to increase the humidity, and nothing's going to happen. Heat is not going to cure an efflorescence problem. The second thing you do not want to do with efflorescence, of course, is put a sealer on it. I don't care what kind of sealer, whether it's a topical, whether it's these impregnators, do not seal them. We're going to talk about that in a minute here of why we don't do that, because even though these impregnators especially are vapor permeable or they're vapor transmittable or they're, they breathe, in other words, they only breathe vapor and not moisture. And I'll get into that uh, in, a, in a second before we get to the, I want to finish efflorescence first. So the only real cure for efflorescence is to wait. Dry it out. You can speed the drying up. Now, I had a case many years ago where there was this house that was flooded. Uh, the, the efflorescence was all over this, this poor gentleman's marble floor. Uh, we went in, we buffed it all off, and it came back. And I told him it would come back. And I said, the only thing we can do is buff it off on a weekly basis until it's gone until the floor dries out. Bring in dehumidifiers, turn the air conditioning on. And uh, I think after about three months, I get a call from this gentleman, and he said, Fred, I need you to get down here right away. We have a major problem. The efflorescence is worse. And I said, what do you mean it's worse? He said, "There's just it's more than I've ever seen. And I said, that's a wonderful news. And he was basically, well, are, are you nuts? What do you mean that's wonderful news? Well, what I just explained what efflorescence is, when you see a lot of it, that means it's at its final drying stage. So the moisture comes to the surface, it evaporates away. What's probably happening is that's the last of the evaporation that's occurring on the surface of the, of the stone. So what happened? Uh, we went down there, we buffed it off. Uh, took some moisture readings on the floor. We did some uh, vapor testing on the floor, which we'll get into, and uh, it, it, it cured the problem. Uh, now, you want to also back up if you're in this situation and find out where the moisture is coming from. Uh, could it be too much water was mixed uh, in the concrete slab when it was poured? Could it be there's a there's a compromise in the vapor barrier? In other words, the vapor barrier has been punctured. Uh, could the water be coming in 
uh, horizontally, in other words, from the sides of the of the building as opposed from up from the uh, the ground up. So those are the type of things you want to check, and we cover them in my stone inspection and troubleshooting class. We'll cover a little bit of it here. Uh, real quickly, there are two ways you can tell. Uh, one is to use an infrared camera, uh, which you know can show you how to do that and how how to determine that. Uh, the other way is a, a technique that I developed because of a hobby I have. Uh, many of you that know me know I have a hobby of uh, marine aquariums, saltwater aquariums. I've raised uh, seahorses for years. Uh, now I'm down to one tank, but I still raise, uh, I still you know keep marine aquariums, and. In marine aquarium chemistry, there is something called nitrates and nitrates, and there's a test kit for it. That's what we test in the marine environment so the fish don't die, basically. Uh, it's poisonous to the fish, and they can actually actually die. Um, it just so happens that nitrites and nitrates, which we find in salt water, can also be found in soil salts, but not necessarily in concrete. So if you take this test kit and you test the efflorescence on a floor and you get nitrates, that means it's in contact with the soil, which means either the vapor barrier has been compromised or soil is packed up against the side of the building. So you want to be able to check that. So go to your local pet store, the pet store that carries these test kits, or you can order online through Amazon or eBay or wherever, and uh, pick yourself up one. And uh, I tell you, it's, it really comes in handy because now you have a non-destructive means for testing for uh, soil salts, which can tell you where the efflorescence is coming from. Okay, the second thing that can happen with efflorescence is a term called subfluorescence. And think of subfluorescence as submarine, sub, meaning what happens now is instead of the moisture bringing the dissolved salts to the surface, it dissolves right before the surface and the, the actual salt forms under the stone, in the pores of the stone. And sometimes what can happen, well, a lot of times what can happen is those salts start to grow and they expand and they cause pressure within the pores of the stone, and bingo, it ends up spalling or popping open or flaking. Uh, it breaks the stone apart. Uh, that condition is a little bit trickier uh, to fix. First of all, the first thing you want to do is determine where the moisture is coming from and solve that problem. Once that problem is solved, if that problem can be solved, uh, if it's to the point where uh, the stone is so destroyed, <clears throat> excuse me, the stone is so destroyed that uh, it can't be repaired, uh, that's one thing. But let, let's say you get it in its, in its beginning stage, in a minor stage. Uh, you can fill it, but you don't want to trap the salts in the stone. So there's something you can do called rendering. And basically what you do, and this is going to sound kind of, you know, well, wait a minute, I thought water was the cause of this, is you want to use distilled or what they call deionized water because that's pure water. And when you mop the floor or flood the floor with distilled water, it's going to dissolve the salts. But you have to immediately back it up. So what we'd basically do is take a garden sprayer and spray it on the surface of the, of the floor uh, and vac it up with a wet dry vac and do that several times. And hopefully what that does over time is it, it tells you that the salts are dissolved and the salts are gone. How do you tell that? Well, we're going to get into right now uh, what they call the use of moisture meters and vapor detection on a slab. And we're talking basically a, con a concrete slab here, uh, which a lot of you have and, you know, all over the place. Uh, this wouldn't necessarily apply to a wood structure, but definitely to a concrete slab. What a moisture meter will do is tell you whether the floor is wet. Now, with stone and concrete, 
the moisture meters that we use are what we call non-destructive moisture meters. In other words, if you're used to moisture meters, you've seen the ones with the two little pins. Those are for wood and drywall. They're not for use with stone. Uh, in wood and drywall, they will give you an exact reading. You go into a wall and you can say, well, hey, I got 12% moisture here. That's not the way a moisture meter works on stone. The way a moisture meter works on stone is what we call a relative reading. In other words, it will tell you this. It'll tell you whether the stone is wet, whether it's a little wet, or whether it's dry. And it will only tell you that for that instant that you're taking the reading. And that's very important, okay, because you can go, go into a, a floor, and in certain times of the day, it can wick up moisture from, from the bottom and be wet, and in other times of the day appear dry due to maybe sun shining on it, temperatures within the, in the room. So you have, have the effect of dew point, condensation, et cetera, that, are, that can occur on this floor, which can give you a false reading. But it's a good start. You know, so I'm not saying don't use a moisture meter. It's a good start to tell, okay, it seems to be dry now. Let me check it in a couple hours. It's still dry. It gives you a really good indication. Now, if you want to really find out the type of vapor that's coming out of the slab, you've got two tests that you can do. You can do what is known as a vapor emission test, which I'll describe in a second, or you can do a relative humidity reading in the slab. And let me describe each one of these. The vapor emission test uses a dome. It's a plastic dome, uh, depending on you know where you buy the dome. The one I use is approximately 12 inches square and maybe two or three inches high. And it comes with a little Petri dish of calcium chloride. Calcium chloride is very hydroscopic. In other words, it soaks up water really, really, uh, really, really well. So you take this petri dish and you, with the calcium chloride in it and you measure it on a gram scale and let's say for example you measure it and it weighs 35 grams you prep the slab and you prep it by scarifying it making sure there's no sealers on it or any contaminants and you place it on the slab not on top of the stone on the slab itself you press this dome over the top of it and it has a little like a a, a putty that seals it shut and you leave it there for anywhere from 68 to 72 hours after that time period, you come back, you rip open the plastic dome, and you reweigh it. And if it's more, if it, in other words, we started out with 35 grams, and now we have, say, 45 grams, well, it gained 10 grams of weight. So there's an actual calculation where you can go in and calculate, and you get a figure that gives you the amount of vapor in pounds per 1,000 square feet over a 24-hour period. Now, there's a there's a um, an ASTM test for it. And I can't remember what the des uh, designation is. I should have written it down, but I didn't. But you can look it up uh, if you go to a website like vaportest.com. You can see the formula, and you can actually buy the vapor test kits there as well. The other way to measure, and possibly a more accurate way to measure the amount of water, amount of moisture, I should say, in a slab, is what we call the RH meter or the RH probe and meter, which stands for relative humidity. And basically what you do is you try to, try to determine how thick the slab is, and you want to drill a hole that, that'll fit these little, these little probes, 40% of the depth of the slab. And you stick it in there, you wait a certain period of time, you place your motor um, meter in there, and it gives you a reading for your relative humidity. Now, what's going to be difficult is finding out you know, what that relative humidity should be. And I've done a lot of research in this area. And uh, generally, anything under 70% uh, 
I mean, I'm sorry, over 70% is probably considered suspect of moisture issues. I don't know why every installer or anybody, you know, specifying stone installations especially specifies that either the vapor emission test or the RH test be done. And I'm not going to get into the controversy of which one is more accurate. It looks like the industry is leading more towards the RH test, which, you know, proponents say it's, it's more accurate than the vapor emission test. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll let you research that and uh, argue argue that. Uh, but that's the way to tell whether you have moisture in there. And that's especially true with things like epoxy terrazzo. You know, epoxy terrazzo bl blocks, it's a, it's a coating of epoxy with stone chips in it. And uh, you, if you see bubbling, that's a condition that's called osmotic pressure, which comes from moisture in the stone. And in, in my class, we talk about the differences between osmotic and hydrostatic pressure. And if you have any specific questions on that, I'd be more than happy uh, to take a phone call. Uh, by the way, let me stop a minute and give out the phone call one, one more time if you're just joining us. It is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Okay. The next topic I want to talk about real briefly, and this I get calls on almost on a weekly basis, and that is, especially with a lot of the white-colored marbles, the white Carrara, Statuary, Arabescato, a lot of those white-type materials turning yellow. And we get calls from people where they're in a shower, and a shower floor, uh, outside a building. And generally, the yellowing, it can be caused by a couple of different things, but the main component that causes it is this material has iron in it and it can be a very minute amount of iron well what happens when you expose iron to moisture and air you get a condition known as rusting or called you know, more technically called iron oxidation and this is generally what happens how you can tell whether you're dealing with iron or if that yellow stain you're dealing with is iron is very simple there's a test that you can use a non-destructive test there's a product out there by alpha professional tools called RSR2000. RSR stands for Rust Stain Remover. It's called RSR2000. It comes in a, a tube that looks like an, an oversized toothpaste tube, and it's a very, it, it stinks like all get out. So uh, warn your customer if you can ease in front of your customer because it has that nasty sulfur smell to it. And basically what you do is you just take a little dab of it and you place it on the yellow, the yellow or brown stain, and you wait a minute to five minutes maybe. And if it turns purple, that's a positive indication for iron. In other words, it's a positive test. So if it turns purple, you have iron. So now you have to determine, as I said before, where's the moisture coming from? Okay, once you solve that problem, then we can look at how do we remove this iron. And quite honestly, in some cases, you will not remove the iron, especially if it's been there for a while, uh, if it's uh, a continual moisture problem. So that, that, can, that can be an issue. So look out for yellowing, especially in showers uh, with, with white marble. The second topic is really not related to moisture, but people try to make it related to moisture, and that is hollow spots or voids in the setting bed. I get this all the time with insurance companies that will call and say, well, we had a flood, uh, heater, water heater over, you know, broke, uh, uh, the dishwasher hose came off, the sink overflowed, whatever, the house got flooded or the building got flooded, and now the tiles are hollow. And my response to that is BS. Uh, water cannot make a tile installation hollow. And why is that? If you go back and you understand how concrete cures, what is thin set? What is a mud bed? 
You know, what is thick bed install? What are your setting mortars? Your setting mortars, unless you're using epoxy, of course, um, are concrete to Portland cement based, which means they undergo a process during their curing phase called hydration, which means they will cure under water. They will cure with water. They actually need water in order to cure. That's why you see uh, c concrete contractors, when they pour sidewalks, they'll sometimes put burlap bags over, straws over them. They'll mist it constantly because they're curing, they're hydrating the concrete. The same thing is happening. So what happens when that thin set and that mortar cures into the tile, it becomes bonded. So it's bonded from the get-go. So a flood is not going to do anything. It's not going to, well, I shouldn't say it's not going to do anything, but it's not going to cause hollow spots. That floor was hollow from the get-go, and now the customer is trying to blame uh, the hollow spots and get them, get them a new floor uh, based on, on this insurance claim with the flooding. So uh, don't buy that, and I will argue that a million, a million different times. Okay, the next topic I want to cover is the topic that uh, a friend of mine, actually Pavlo, who uh, actually appeared on one of my earlier shows earlier this uh, this year, and he is actually doing an experiment. And if you want to go back and listen to that show, it's a great show. And uh, if you follow him on, on, on Facebook page, he's been posting a lot of information there as well. Uh, he's had some problems with customers complaining, or at least one customer complaining about a white Carrara mosaic shower pan that was staying wet and not drying out. So what he basically did, and I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, is he basically went in and he took a, a several different uh, shower pans, different methods, and he's testing them. And he's testing them with sealers and no sealers, sealers with sealers. And when I'm, I'm talking sealers, I'm meaning uh, the impregnating type sealers. And the interesting thing we're finding out is that those shower pans that are using an impregnating sealing, sealer are staying wet. Now, I know I'm going to tick off the sealer manufacturers out there and they're going to say, oh, no, Fred, you've got to seal a shower pan. But uh, let me tell you why this is happening. Um, and, and what he's found out is if, he, if he, he takes two shower pans and he builds them identically, I mean, right to the T, identically, and he uses an impregnator on one and one on the other, and he wets them both, the one that's not sealed dries out relatively quickly, and the one that doesn't is staying wet for a very long period of time. And you say, well, wait, Fred, uh, isn't the sealer supposed to keep water out of the installation? And you're right, it does. However, you're forgetting one thing. At the top of the show, I mentioned something called condensation. I also mentioned that all these impregnators, or basically all these impregnators, claim to be vapor permeable. In other words, they breathe. So they will keep water out, but they do not keep vapor out. So in a shower, and I'm not talking just a steam shower. If you turn, turn a shower on and you even have lukewarm water or sometimes even cold water, you're going to have a very, very high human environment. Uh, if you take a hot shower, you're going to have even more. And what can happen, two things can happen. First of all, that vapor will penetrate through the impregnator. And then when you go out of the shower and the shower starts to cool down, condensation occurs. And what happens to that vapor? That vapor now turns into a liquid. And that liquid does not want to escape because that's what those impregnators are designed to do is to keep liquid out. But once it's in, it's going to keep liquid in as well. So some of these shower pans are, are staying wet for a very, very long period of time due to that. So, you know, the he's still doing the experiments. The experiments aren't done yet. There's a lot of criticism that they're coming out. But I'm tending to believe that uh, 
Now, I'm not talking the walls. We're talking about the pan itself on certain stones don't seal the shower pan. And there's another reason why I don't uh, like using uh, impregnators on an exterior situations is for the same exact reason. But, you know, you can argue with me uh, day in and day out, but we're going to do these experiments or he's going to do those experiments. We're going to take a look at them and, and try to reach a, a, a conclusion. No one's ever done this. Which, which is kind of interesting um, because shower failures are big. And there, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong with a shower. I mean, weep holes are clogged. It's not installed properly. It's not waterproof properly. It's not pitched properly. And there's a, there's a, a long list of things that can go wrong. But with everything perfect, and that's what he's doing, he's creating the perfect installation on all these. The only difference is one sealed one is not sealed, and we're finding some very interesting interesting results. So we welcome your feedback on that. If you uh, send me a, a link, go on to my Facebook page. I'll link you over to his his uh, Facebook page, and you can you can read some of the stuff that he's writing over there. But uh, that's a, a good job, Pablo. All right, the other moisture-related issue I've run into is with crystallization. Now. I'm not going to sit here and give you an entire lecture on the pros and cons of crystallization. I think I've already done that uh, on one of my other shows. But moisture can be a big issue with certain stone types, especially stones like uh, Thassos White. If you read, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what the crystallization process is, it's a type of polishing process that uses a crystallization fluid. And, and I'm, not, I'm not going to take the time to go into exactly what it does. You can listen to another show in the archives uh, to find out what that is. But what can happen is you can also trap moisture in the stone. Not only will you trap moisture and can cause some spalling because of that, uh, sometimes the crystallization process won't work. And I've seen where if you have a wet floor and you're using the crystallization, process, you're using steel wool, you can actually turn the floor gray, and I've seen that happen. Certain stones are very sensitive. Uh, Thassos white is one of them to the crystallization process, and as a matter of fact, some of the instructions on some of the crystallizers uh, state that, that um, uh, do not use on Thassos white and some other materials. So that's how moisture uh, can affect uh, crystal crystallization itself. All right, I want to turn... Uh, a little bit towards, uh, oh, actually, one statistic about showers. Uh, there's an article a friend of mine, Don Halverson, wrote a number of years ago where they did this experiment where they measured the amount of rainfall in a shower. So, you know, let's say you use your shower once a day. You know, how much, you know, equivalent to how much rainfall do you think occurs on average, and of course this depends, I know you scientists and, scientists and engineers out there are going to say, well, wait a minute, Fred, that depends on flow rate. On average, okay, just take my word for average, the average shower produces about 8,000 inches of rain a year. That's the rainiest place on earth, okay, so you can imagine all the water, which is why we have all these problems uh, with showers and uh, especially with these shower pans. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to kind of mention that statistic before I go on and talk about uh, the next topic when it comes to uh, moisture issues. Again, if you want to call in, the phone number here is 323-870-3968. If you have a comment or a question, 323-870-3968. Be happy to take your call and uh, and get your opinion. Okay, mold and mildew. I mean, there, there's another problem, and I have... I have an issue with some of the mold remediation companies out there that are scaring people half to death uh, because in order for mold to occur, mold, mildew, any kind of biological growth, you need a few things. First of all, you need a food source. Okay, second of all, you need moisture and you need oxygen. 
Now, in a shower, that can occur because you have body oils that occur, so you're providing a food source. Typically, on a floor, you're not going to have that issue because there's no food source. There's no organic matter unless you're dealing with it over wood, which is organic in nature. If you're using an organic mastic, which I don't recommend, uh, but a lot of times, uh, mold and mildew is uh, just... It scares people, and you know, not to say that there aren't toxic molds out there. There are, but there are also tens of thousands of species of mold. Uh, wherever you are in the world listening to this, I don't care where you are, what time of day it is, you're breathing in mold spores. So it's out there. It exists. It's part of our. It's part of our atmosphere. Um, you know, what a mold company will do is they'll actually check the mold spore count inside of a building compared to the outside of the building to kind of get okay. We got a problem inside. Uh, you can. If you see mold, if you physically see mold, you can actually take a sample of that and send it out very inexpensively and have it tested. They will culture it and tell you what kind of mold it is. But uh, well, I guess what I'm getting at is just be careful when it comes to mold and mildew-related uh, issues. They're not as bad as you may think, at least when it comes to uh, stone, in stone installations. Um, Freeze-thaw is another issue. Now, that doesn't occur too much here in Florida or you know, southern Texas, New Mexico, whatever, but it obviously occurs a lot in a northern environment. As a matter of fact, when I had my fab shop up, up in the Asheville, North Carolina area, I was walking out in my slab yard on a cold winter morning, and it was one of those mornings where it rained in the morning, and then all of a sudden a cold front came through and it froze. I actually witnessed a slab exploding. Just the corner of it just exploded due to freeze-thaw. In other words, the moisture got into the pores, it froze, and it blew apart. So if you're designing or you're specifying stone for your designers and specifiers out there in a northern environment, you want to look at the freeze-thaw data for that. And the ASTM has a test for that. Certain stones are more susceptible to that than not. Uh, which brings me to if we look at the pore structure of a lot of different stones, we have what is known as microporosity and macroporosity. And basically all that means is macroporosity means they have very, very large holes, where micro means they're very, very small holes. So you will see conditions called rising damp on the outside of buildings in a lot of major cities. This is where, let's say, you have a granite facade and you see moisture wicking up into the building. I've seen it go as high as 30 feet, but, you know, typically you're looking at a few feet up. That's called rising damp, and that's because moisture is getting into the sides of the stone, uh, underneath the stone. There's no barrier there. There's no waterproof barrier uh, there at all, and it's wicking up into the stone. Now, that can be a problem because, especially in a northern environment, what can happen is salts, the icing salts during the wintertime can dissolve, and then, of course, the moisture will wick those salts up there, and you have a condition that we talked about in the beginning of the show uh, with subfluorescence, and you end up with all kinds of spalling and everything, and I've seen that a lot. You go to all the major cities, New York City, Boston, Chicago, Milwaukee, wherever you have a lot of ice and snow and de-icing salts are used, uh, you will see that. Another moisture-related issue that I've, I've had a lot of issues with is especially here in Florida, is these outside decks or balconies on condominiums and houses where they, they put a stone deck, a tile deck uh, out there, and they don't they don't install it properly. They just, you know, take the deck and they thin set their tile directly to it. And there's no, even if you have the proper proper slope on there, and a lot of times we don't see that, 
but the uh, biggest problem I see is they're not designed to drain properly. And I don't mean by the slope, I mean in the setting bed itself. Uh, they're not designed to drain property. I've seen I've seen these with thick mud bed installations. They put all the anti-fracture membranes on there, but the actual setting bed itself can't drain. There's no weep holes in the installation. I just looked at a very large house uh, down in uh, uh, the west coast of Florida. You know, multi-million dollar home, and all the balconies are failing because there's no weep holes. Uh, it was installed improperly. So, you know, go to your NTCA manual, go to your MIA manual, or now the Natural uh, Natural Stone Institute's manual, and look at how to properly do these. Uh, and, of course, from an inspection standpoint, uh, it's very easy to determine whether the slope is draining or not. So that's another uh, issue uh, issue with, with drainage and, and, and moisture-related issues. So, you know, in conclusion, unless someone calls in here real quick, um, you know, moisture is a big issue. Uh, so you want to, you know, you can. It can be very difficult to find where moisture is coming from. That's where infrared photography comes in. Uh, that's where your moisture meter comes in. That's where your RH meter comes in, and just some really good inspection. Uh, practices in order to determine where they're coming from. I mentioned at the top of the show the technical bulletin uh, from MAPEI, M-A-P-E-I.com, a really good bulletin. Uh, again, I'll give out that number. It's called Technical Bulletin 010403-TB, Tom Boy, T is in Tom, B is in Boy, uh, and they list a number for, I don't it looks like about 20 or 30 different moisture-sensitive uh, stones. So, um, and, and, you know, the, the thing that I find, you know, while we're talking about moisture-sensitive stones is a lot of times they're installed with, you know, your typical water-based setting materials, and they do all kinds of weird things. You know, they spall, they curl, or whatever. And in the manufacturer's directions, and if you look at, you know, even some of the premium bags of thin sets, it'll say, if you look and learn to read under the limitations, it'll tell you in limitations, it'll say, do not use on resin back stones. Do not use on moisture sensitive stones. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, years ago we never had these problems, but now that we've had introduced all these man-made things like, you know, sealers and different type of polymers and different stones and different things we're doing to these stones and tile, we're running into all these issues. So um, be aware. I would highly recommend that anyone that's interested in learning more about what I talked about today as well as some of the other topics that I just that I talked about uh, on the sh on these shows here is to uh, take my inspection class which I do once a year uh, in Las Vegas and you can find information on that at my website which is stoneforensics.com uh, I also offer a correspondence class it's basically the same class it's a recorded class with a live presentation as well as a self-guided PowerPoint presentation along with all the manuals uh, etc at a reduced cost that you can study at home I have guys that pop uh, you know pop it into their their player in their car and listen to it in the car as well and actually the advantage of the correspondence course over the uh, live classes you can listen to it over and over and over and over and over again Alrighty, folks i think i'm going to wrap the show up for this week and uh, it recorded it looks like so uh, hopefully everyone who's listening live has gained some information if you would do me a favor and if you are listening live 
could you please send me an email and tell me you were listening live? And then that way that kind of gives me an indication. Even though the website does, or the, the radio website does have statistics there, uh, it's nice to get feedback from everybody out there. So, you know, please let me know that. Again, if you have a, a comment, a question at all, best way to reach me is uh, via my email address, which is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com. So I think I'm going to wrap things up. We'll return next Wednesday. Uh, I believe it's next Wednesday, we'll be doing the show again. And uh, we're going to have some great interviews coming up with various different people. So keep an eye on my Facebook page, Stone Forensics. And uh, I, I, I almost on a daily basis, I'll post what's coming up on previous shows. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll see everybody next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.